0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: What's up and welcome back to another kind of funny breakdown of Secret Invasion. This time, episode two, Promises. Of course, I'm Tim Geddes and I'm joined by, from the deep dive and new rock stars, Eric Voss.
0: Hey Tim, what an
1: episode. What an episode, man. Last week's, I was like, this is good. It's a good foundation. This one, I was like oh, I really like this show.
0: Yeah, this is the show that I believe was promised to us in trailers, like a true Nick Fury spycraft show. And Nick Fury seems to have more agency. Last, Last week he was more reactive. This week he's a bit more proactive. Just... I mean, we'll talk about it, but those scenes with with uh, Rhodey. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, this is almost like gold-class MCU writing right here. I just I lo- I couldn't get enough of these two talking to Dude, each other.
1: two characters that we want to get more of just hanging out. I mean, that's like a, a problem of the MCU is for as many amazing characters are in it, it's rare that we get to see some of the more kind of unique team-ups and even just conversations. So yeah. to be able to get Rhodey and Nick Fury actually sitting down and having that conversation of, of all conversations, I was absolutely thrilled about it, but we're going to talk about all of that in just a second. Of course, I want to let you know this is completely spoiler filled. So if you don't want to be spoiled in episode two of Secret Invasion, go watch it. Come back later. Uh, but for everyone else that wants to hear us talk about all of that spoilery goodness, you're in the right place. Uh, we're going to be doing this every week right here on youtube.com slash kind of funny. You could also search your favorite podcast service for kind of funny screencast and we will be right there for you um of course if you want to go above and beyond patreon.com slash kind of funny is where you want to go where you can get the show ad free just like our patreon producer nathan lamothe has done um and because he supports us there he won't hear our ads for better help The rest of you will. Um, I don't know if Eric's going to be joining us every single week. That's the goal. But, hey, schedules in life can get hard sometimes. But regardless of if you're here next week, Eric, I I do want to uh, promote a couple things. Uh, We have some fun in reviews coming up where um, I think coming up next Monday will be our review of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And then the following week is going to be Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which we saw last night. We did see last night. I'm not going to spoil anything there about our thoughts on that, Um, but I am excited because tonight we're going to be watching Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, so I want to give you a little moment to talk about a project you've been working on.
0: Oh, right. So, um, New Rockstars is a network of three channels, and one of our channels that we launched back in February is called The Deep Dive, and we're doing a Spielberg summer series on The Deep Dive, where I'm going back to my favorite Steven Spielberg films, the movies you always put on on a summer afternoon. They might be doing an outdoor movie screening in your town. You know they're going to fire up uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or Jurassic Park or whatever it is. And so we have specifically breakdowns of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade currently live on the channel. Some of my favorite videos I've ever done. I- I've seen these movies dozens of times, or some just a dozen times, but I, I discovered new stuff. Like, the-, the the Golden Fertility Idol's eyes move. They move. They put a little mechanical trigger in there so it's, like, shifty, and I never noticed that before, but they actually did it. Anyway... That's what I'm doing. So go to Deep Dive on YouTube and check you, that out. You being like a
1: professional Marvel movie breakdown guy, like probably the the best of the best when it comes oh, to it. You've been doing this for years. Is it weird to go back to movies like from the the 80s and 90s that like you that, and apply that kind of like Marvel logic to it and like
0: in your breakdowns? It's uh it's like a return to home for me because these are the movies I grew up watching um like you know, I like to consider myself like a film nerd first and then a comic book MCU, a DCU lore nerd after that. Like, I discovered that in my teenage years and college years. But when I was a kid, I mean, I was six years old watching Temple of Doom, the movie that defined the PG-13 standard because there was a heart pull scene in it. So, like, these are the movies I really grew up watching. These are the movies I'd always wonder about that brought me to, like, the internet to find trivia about them, to read director's interviews, taught me what a director and a producer even are. So, yeah, I, I love going back to it. Now, there's not as much, like, theory, crafting, and lore connections with, like, the Indiana Jones movies, but, I mean, there is some. Like, there's questions of, like, is uh, Henry Jones and Henry Jones Jr are they immortal now because they've sipped from the cup of Christ? No, because you have to continually sip it over years and years and years. but there's there's all kinds of interesting theories that some people think Indiana Jones is immortal just because he survived being nuked in a fridge. yeah, uh, that, so, that is true too. Uh, so
1: yeah. are you looking forward to Dial of Destiny? Like is there anything that in your rewatches and and re- like deep dives into the previous Indiana Jones movies? Are there things that you're you're hoping to see in this one?
0: Uh, what I am hoping to see, I, I look, I have some trepidation on it, right? Because it's not Steven Spielberg, it's James Mangold, who is one of my favorite filmmakers, but... It's been harder, it, like, since after Crystal Skull, like, it's it's just ha- been harder for them to revisit and get great hits out of this movie, but I really love Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, I think it, just based off of trailer footage, there's some great chemistry there, Solace coming back, can't go wrong there, uh, and it seems like, you know, the, the classic Indiana Jones formula is if you can fight Nazis in it, you know it's going to be a good movie, because, like, anytime they try to do villains who aren't Nazis, it doesn't hit as hard. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm hoping to see. I'm hoping to see some, uh, some winks to the franchise, but I don't want them to be too obsessed with it. Uh, and one weird thing that I've noticed is like, these movies do so much to establish the divinity of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Like they, obviously everything is like, has holy power in the Indiana Jones franchise, but specifically how many, like the cross of Coronado had a piece of the true cross in it at the beginning of last crusade. Uh, The cup of Christ actually works in the Indiana Jones universe. So I just like any time they do that, where they just take big swings to whether uh, what we consider to be mythology, religion, or folklore, and they just say, no, it's all real.
1: Magic is real in this world. That's pretty damn cool. Well, let's transition from that to Secret Invasion, episode two. Eric, what'd you think of this one?
0: Definitely an improvement from last week, I think. Um, So last week, a decent introduction, but I think many people felt it was a bit of a slow burn. Uh, this week, just by putting Nick Fury on the defensive at the start of the episode, to where Samuel L. Jackson is able to access his true rage and his frustration, and I think Samuel L. Jackson is so good at playing that uh, on the train with Talos when he finds out that there's one million scrolls actually in hiding what? on the planet wild, wild revelation uh, uh, when he's talking to Fury um, or when he's talking to Rody after after Rody's testimony. I mean, Rody's seen just with the heads of state where he wants to carpet bomb Slovakia. Like, not only was it true Nick Fury, it was true James Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Because we forget that James Rhodes, he's a company man. He's not a guy, he's not a Captain America. He's someone who works for the U.S. government. He works within the system to effect change. But he's not someone who's going to go rogue. He sided with Team Tony Stark during Civil War. Uh, So he's always been this kind of guy who is going to support the red, white, and blue. He's always had that Iron Patriot in him. And I just liked reminding everyone that this is who Rhodey is. He's not afraid to fire Nick Fury. And what a moment to fire Nick Fury.
1: And and seeing how Fury reacted in the moment and then the moment that he was away from Rhodey and sitting on that bench and seeing Fury kind of like collapse into himself. Like that is a side of him that we have never seen. Right, Right. And I thought that was like really powerful. And last week I was saying you know, this is kind of relying on a lot of Captain Marvel lore and like the story that happened there and making those connections. And I was saying that's one of the movies I've seen the least. So I was a little hazy where I was like, I'm just going to trust you that the, that a promise was made and all mm-hmm. that. I love that this episode starts with that recap, starting in yeah. 1995, going through using all that old footage and then, or footage from Captain Marvel, then going to, to 97 and getting that DH Fury and continuing the, the story there. I thought was a really, really smart call to connect everything to the story going on uh, currently. But that allowed, um, you know, we talked last week about how this is an uh, adaptation of the comic and how different it is because we're not getting the big superhero-y type stuff. I think that after the slow burn setup of last week, ending with the death of Maria Hill, um, so many of the the theories that I had last week, I feel like I was totally off on. Like watching this episode, I'm just like, you know what? I think uh, Talos is actually a good guy. And I, I um, think that Maria Hill's probably actually dead. Yeah, um, point, and, yeah. Which, like, I'm surprised by. I thought all that stuff was like, oh, they're definitely going to go back on it. But starting the episode with the coffin and with her mom and that conversation with Fury, I love last week's setup of Maria is kind of the only person that Nick Fury has. Like he's had the Avengers, he doesn't anymore. He's had power in the government, he doesn't really anymore. They don't respect him. He had the scrolls, he doesn't anymore because they're pissed at him for going up to space. And killing off Maria Hill really kind of leaves him alone. Yeah. And having him go to uh Rhodes and try to be like, yo, I need you, and Rhodes being like, No, dude, like I'm not joining you on this. Mm-hmm. I think it does does a really good job of setting the stakes of this show of it is now, I mean, we saw that scene of all the world powers that are all scrolls. That's some real intense shit. And it's the world against Nick Fury. And I just feel like that is such a, even him leaving uh, Talos on the the train. It's like, Uh. I I just love the way that this episode really, really, really made him alone until the very end.
0: Until the very end, which what an interesting reveal. Um, This is his wife. She's credited, it's it's, uh, uh, Charlene Woodard playing uh, Priscilla Fury, who is an original character, in uh, in the marvel lore and i it's not specified but do we think that is the scroll who was vara who presented Gravik to him at the beginning of the episode oh interesting because i was going back to look at like the vo- is it, it sounds like charlene woodard's voice she they have this kind of moment with each other she's roughly the same height that charlene woodard is do we not see her transform though we don't see her transform we see um uh, his scroll wife cutting only green vegetables, yeah. which I thought was interesting, and then uh, and then we just see her now as a human form, which I thought the, the shooting of that final shot, that, that final scene was interesting, definitely. Um, but yeah, I think that was the scroll, Vara, because that implies like, well, if that was the scroll back in 1997, then Fury would know his wife is a scroll. That's how they met, was back at that Brixton Community Center, uh, because the way Ali Salim shot it is with this question of does Nick Fury know his oh, wife that, is a I scroll. didn't even think about that I yeah. thought I, to me I thought oh he's he's with the scroll right assuming he knew that and I think that that is the huh. correct answer because Ali Salim said that that's how it is in the script that okay. that Nick Fury does know his wife is a scroll but then they shot it in this way to kind of leave it open ended but then when you watch it it's like well then why would she why would she hide it from him like wouldn't he know that He, uh, yeah, I I don't think it's as much of a misdirect, but I I can see how some people might have that takeaway. Yo,
1: that's actually really interesting because my read on it was entirely, not that she was trying to hide anything from him, more just like her being with him, the human form kind of just makes
0: more sense for them for whatever reason. Yeah, I want to know why she just didn't stay in her scroll form. Like, why does she have to put on this human mask for him? It felt like. Well, why do you have to like cosplay or role play for your husband when he comes home? Why can't you just uh, be home in your own skin?
1: I mean, they all wear masks, right? I mean, even him with the the ring. It's just like like why isn't he always wearing that? It's like I feel like that's just the type of secret relationship that they
0: that they are forced to live for. Whatever. Do you think she does that to prove that it's not Talos coming in to try to play the milkman? (laughs) Come on, I need to see that ring, Talos. I know Soren ain't giving you the time that you need and the attention. Uh, Yeah, I I think that is supposed to be the scroll that he met in 1997, Uh, and I, I think we're gonna learn more about their relationship. I uh, find it interesting that Fury was so disheveled by there being so many scrolls when his wife is a scroll, right? Like if someone so close to you in your home life is a scroll. Why would you be that upset?
1: Well, I think it's more just the, uh, it's control, right? It's yeah. like, it's it's. I mean, I feel like they even kind of touch on this uh, in the Rhodey conversation of him being like, oh, so you're telling me that we're in potentially the biggest world war possible, and you're the only person. Mm-hmm. You're the only person that can handle this, and mm-hmm. you want me to back you on that. It's like, it's all about control with Fury and yeah. him being five steps ahead, like we keep talking about. So I kind of get the idea that him not knowing This pretty major fact, especially when there is not just him not in control. There is no control when there are now millions of people on this planet that could look like anyone at any time. And there have been for, I mean, the way that they talked about it is the, there was a small group that Fury knew about that's been here since the Mm nineties, but it's correct me if I'm wrong, but it's implied that it was like during the blip that the millions came.
0: It was during the blip. And then shortly after the blip, because like Fury was gone for those five years, then he Dusted back into reality, and then he quickly went up to the Sabre space station. It sounds like that's when he took his eye off the ball, according to Talos and Maria Hill. Um, but I kind of, that uh, leads me to ask if he was on a scroll space station, it looked like it was a scroll populated space station, kind yeah. of far from home, don't you think he would know about an influx of scrolls coming in through Earth's orbit? Like if, if Sabre is in Earth's orbit, I I guess they have cloaking technology, but you think the whole point of Saber is to build a suit of armor around the world and detect what ships are coming into our atmosphere? And he would just kind of know, unless they have some kind of like underground railroad that's bringing these scrolls into. And it sounds like that's the parallel here. Is it's it's the refugee story? It's the it's like uh, the diaspora story. Um, Which can we talk real quick about like scrolls as refugees in the universe? Yeah, because I think it's interesting that they're going to Earth and not nowhere. Because nowhere in the Guardians Holiday Special and Guardians Three was established as the home as for the refugees, the home for extraterrestrial refugees. So that leads me to wonder: Are there a lot of nimbys on nowhere who are like, "Not in my backyard. I don't want to scroll here," mm. and they're racist in nowhere?
1: And because there was the
0: war, right? Yeah. So it's like there yeah. there must be a bad
1: taste in people's uh, mouths about the scrolls and not trusting them, especially again. It goes back to that control of. When somebody can change their appearance, you've you got to be on edge about it. Right. So I can see a lot of the, the people and, and creatures in uh, Nowhere having that as well.
0: It might not just be Kree that, uh, that are horrible to Skrulls. It might be Zandarians too. We mm-hmm. don't really know how Zandarians feel about Skrulls. Um, but also, there's another interesting refugee story happening on Earth at New Asgard. And I find it interesting that yes. <laughs> President Ritson, as we see in a Wakanda Forever news ticker, says President Ritson signs a, assigns a trade pact with New Asgard, and then we see they're doing like Old Spice commercials and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Why aren't they required to, or why is it so easy for New Asgard to assimilate and to be embraced by the world scene, and then Nick Fury requires the scrolls to go in hiding? Is it Nick Fury's own worldview growing up in the segregated South that does that, or does he understand something true about human nature in that we are instinctively intolerant? And my hope is that by the end of the series, it begins from a place of a pessimistic view of human Mm -hmm. nature, of intolerance. We lock each other up in cages. We wage wars. We destroy the environment. And by the end, will be a statement of what is good about human nature and why we're worthy of, uh, of keeping our species on this planet and not being assimilated and replaced. Um, I think all that was handled so beautifully in the, the train ride conversation
1: between yeah. Talos and Nick Fury and him telling the story about him and his mom and the, the games they would play and like that the whole thing of uh, tell me something I don't know about and love that. And, and he was like, you know, what she was doing was even though I lied, I told her everything she needed to know. Mm-hmm. Like that is such a great Nick Fury origin story of like yeah. how he is and then wanting to play that with with Talos. I feel like they did such a good job of firmly establishing Nick's thoughts on all this stuff and him talking about Alabama and him talking about how his train experience now is very different than it was it grounds this all in our horrible reality Mm -hmm. um but also I think contextualizes how he sees the scrolls and even has that line of like just talking shit about humans and just being like there's no way this planet can deal with that there's just no way that that wouldn't just immediately cause a, a war and chaos and that's amidst war and chaos happening and all the miscommunication and, and misinformation being put out there mm. and like this whole uh americans against russia stuff like dude they're in it like we're, we're yeah. seeing this on a political level that like it's not even a threat anymore it's actively happening and right. i feel like it's even causing uh roads to n- like not trust and push out fury even though they've worked together for so long yeah. and he, whether or not he uh roads is a company man it's like he knows that Fury is five steps ahead. So for him to make that call with the impending war or already happening war, I just think puts everybody in really interesting places on the board.
0: Yeah, I like where everyone is right now. Uh, my The only gripe I have is, again, like last week, the the plotting of the scroll subplot right now. I love everything that they're setting up with the Super scrolls, Don't get me wrong. But I'm not really clear what the relationship is between Gravik and... Gaia and his second-in-command, Pagon. It took me a couple watches to realize who uh, Gaia was calling. Mm -hmm. Because remember, she had to sit in the car. It's clear she's being sidelined, left out of the loop and she wants to be on the inside. But there wasn't any kind of resistance to her following Gravik into that inner room. So like, was there no one standing guard at that room where they were do- building that machine to create Super scrolls? I just find it interesting how he feels about it. There was that weird moment where Gravik says to some other woman, I couldn't have done this without you. Was that for Gaia to yeah, make her feel like... I think so. Was it a David Koresh kind of thing? Like, you're my favorite. No, mm-hmm. you're my favorite. Like, it just wasn't that clear. Anytime so far in the series we go to that um, Chernobyl, it's not Chernobyl, but that kind of place i kind of feel myself like all right all
1: right this this is the this here's the marvel stuff i mean when we saw the machine uh, Gia literally looked at me and was like please don't shoot some big glowing thing into the sky <laughs> and I was like don't worry I don't think that's what this is gonna do do you think it's gonna
0: be like the first X-Men <laughs> where like Magneto was trying to turn everyone into he's gonna try to turn everyone into squirrels. I mean it kind of like there's a lot of the DNA looking stuff like I, I don't th- I think it is the Super squirrel. Skrull stuff yeah. right?
1: I mean and we see uh, I was, I love the, the Easter Egg-y type stuff and at this point it's not even Easter Egg it's more just like like the plot point of this, right. of her looking at the files and we see the, the Frost Giant and Groot DNA DNA yeah. And uh, the extremists uh, and all that—that's a kind of cool. I mean, I'm not too up on the the lore and backstory of the Super Scroll stuff
0: in the the comics. Um, but is is that how they're made in the comics? It's uh, similar, but in the comics, there is a character named Drogi uh, who actually gets a shout out this episode when uh, Tylo says, "Emperor Drogi's new colony." Yeah. Now in the comics, Drogi's not an emperor; he's part of like a high priest society. Who, um, when the Illuminati gets captured, investigates the Illuminati and does some genetic research and kind of unlocks this process of, of when scrolls replicate people in addition to their appearances, can replicate their supernatural abilities as well. Um, so that is what leads to Super Scrolls. And he tests this out on the Fantastic Four. Uh, it's like a whole thing, um, but it's more of like a, uh, a culty like Sith Eternal type thing. Uh, It's not so much something that is, uh, they kind of discover it throughout the process. In the show, it seems like it's more of, like, some genetic research that's being brought on by the Daltons, are their name, uh, in the show. I don't know if Drogie's a part of it in the show, um, but a lot of people have been pointing out that, like, s- the specific four that we see, three of the four kind of line up with the power set of the Fantastic Four. You have Groot, who can stretch like Reed Richards. Interesting. You have Cole Obsidian, who's a big boy like Ben Graham. You have the Extremists, who can flame on like Johnny Storm. And then you have... Frost Beasts, which have nothing in common with Sue Storm. So it uh, kind of falls apart yeah. at that point. But uh, if, if they had just gotten the DNA of Ava Star Ghost from Ant-Man the Wasp, it all would have been clear. There we go. Same power <laughs> set. And who knows? Maybe if Gaia continued to scroll well, it down, he would have that seen, seen that. Way, right? It and, seemed and, like there were more. And yeah.
1: that, that I thought was interesting is that there were all of these different files, and it did seem like there were a lot that we didn't see. Um, but what what do you think that those files are? Is that a, a scroll database, or is that something that they got from, like, some government or something that
0: has that information or has the, Ooh, the files that's a good question i think it is their own excel spreadsheet that's on <laughs> this old 1980s green text computer um because they can't get imax i guess in the uh in this place <laughs> the radiation would just destroy the processor no they um i think it's their own spreadsheet i think they have a network of people who are connected in various labs and and facilities cold storage areas and they're able to get their hands on this material and they add it to the list. Because it's specific from their point of view. They call it, um, they label it found on Earth, a.k.a. C-53 slash Terra. And C-53 is the extraterrestrial designation for Earth. Mm. So I think it's their designation specifically for planet Earth. And I find it interesting that they chose four things of uh, things that you would find on Earth. So call Obsidian, when he fought Wong... Uh, well, he also died in the Battle of Wakanda, but his yeah, arm was yeah, Armour. Yeah. and that's what you see in the picture. Uh, Groot has fought in the Battle of Wakanda, in the Battle of Earth, and there were parts of his wood that would have been left behind, and specifically the Frostbeast. I had to like think back on this in Thor: The Dark World, everyone's favorite Marvel movie. When the convergence is happening, these portals are opening. There is one Frostbeast who gets left behind, running around London. Oh wow! So it's okay. probably that exact Frostbeast that somewhere, somewhere they got like a, a file of. I kind of feel like Marvel keeps doing this where they're like, I felt this way with Shang-Chi when they're in the fighting club. And then in the background, you see an extremist soldier fighting a a widow agent. And it's like, those are the coolest Marvel cameos you can. They keep pulling from like the C and D list of Marvel cameos and plugging it in. And it's just not as exciting to me. Like, Wong is the one that I think everyone's excited by to see Wong show up. But like these other like phase two crappy easter eggs like it's just not as exciting Groot i'm excited by but call obsidian it seems like the black order was one really undeveloped part of it Infinity could have been War.
1: so cool man and
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah we're gonna keep talking about this but uh real quick let's take a word from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by better help it's so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself I know this from experience, how often it just seems easier to care about others and to keep it moving. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burnt out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Some of my very best friends use BetterHelp and love how helpful it can be for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash kindoffunny today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash kindoffunny. So you're talking about the C-53 yes. designation for Earth? Mm-hmm. Where was that referenced in uh, the That was
0: movies? in Captain Marvel. So when, in the beginning of the movie, Carol Danvers is uh, going to, I think it's a planet Torfa on a Cree like Star Command mission, to uh, which she realizes is to uh, annihilate like a group of innocent Skrull refugees. Uh, and she ends up getting captured by the Skrull, and then she wakes up in one of these upside-down fracking pods, zapping through her memories, and then we see a listing of planet Earth as she crash-lands on it. And it says, like, C-53, and then I believe underneath that it's, like, in parentheses, Earth. Got it's, it, like, right. Earth is just what we call it. But everyone else calls it Terra or C-53. Yeah,
1: so, okay, so you talking about the the Easter eggs of, like, the kind of, like, minor stuff, and then we get the the Avengers name dropping. This yeah. Time,
0: right? And they, they say uh, what
1: happens if the Avengers return, and, like, Fury makes some references of, like, no, 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 that's going to not only instigate the war even more, it's also going to allow these scrolls to potentially copy the powers of these these heroes potentially what
0: avengers do you think they're talking about here um i think they're mostly worried about hulk and thor like those are the most uncontainable of the avengers because Rody, as someone who has probably in his eyes the equivalent of iron man armor i think he can he feels like he can handle any super soldier um like I mean, the only reason uh, Tony Stark lost to Steve Rogers in Civil War is because Steve Rogers had Bucky helping him. So as long as he wouldn't end up in a in a two-on-one fight with some other super soldiers who are equally motivated, uh, I think Rhodey feels like he can be the check on any other Avengers power. But Hulk and Thor, they don't have a way to contain them. They just kind of have to like hope that we get them off-world, and that's why they were sidelined in Civil War and some of these other conflicts. Um, I think... Maybe he'd be worried about Spider-Man, but I think Rhodey doesn't really give a crap about Spider-Man, Ant-Man. I think he's like he just found out there was an Ant-Man. Like he doesn't really care. Um, I also
1: love too that like even in Endgame, you kind of see uh, War Machine's kind of just like distaste
0: for Scott Lang. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like he just like fucks with him, and it's like I love that stuff. Yeah, I think there is a real threat of uh, members of the Mystic Arts getting assimilated. Because I don't know if I'm just reading too far into this, but they included the detail in episode one of scrolls being able to replicate the memories. Mm-hmm. And then mystic arts are something that is a learned behavior over someone's lifetime. Very interesting. It's muscle ah. memory. It's it's just kind of confidence. It's knowledge. And that's stuff that if a scroll can duplicate your memory, they should be able to cast these eldritch magic spells. And I think that it would be really dangerous for Doctor Strange to get caught. In a, I mean, they'd have to get caught for the first, and I don't know if Wong or Doctor Strange are going to let themselves get caught. But some of those other lower level America With Chavez, Earth, right? America Chavez, like she's, she's yeah. She's still
1: learning, and like they can't copy her star powers, but they right. could copy what she, she's learned so far. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's the other thing. I'm still still trying to figure out, can they copy what all they could copy? Mm. Um, because, yeah, I guess because we haven't seen it. And like in the right. comics,
1: they can't copy powers, right? That's Not normally. It, they. That's the what you need, the Super
0: Scrolls, to be able to do that. Which is what they're trying to build. Which is so. what they're trying to build, and it requires some of the DNA. And that's why I think Hulks, specifically, Jen Walters and Bruce Banner, and anyone else who might have like Hulk- blood because that Mm. is something that the she hulk series really focused on is like their blood is kind of the the source of their power is they have this gamma irradiated blood but it's not so much it 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 already changed the dna so i feel like if they could get some hulk blood they could really copy a hulk i think that might be the biggest swing we could think of on the series just because we've seen she hulk bruce banner showed up in hulk and if they were going to have a big big name avenger uh i that gets corrupted i think we could see a a skrulk yeah, um, but <laughs> what about green. what about Rodi? Do we think Rodi? I went into the series thinking Rodi could be a scroll. After this episode, I'm not as confident.
1: You know, that's the thing. What I, I appreciate about this show is it's making us question every single thing. So, is Rodi a scroll? I think is a big question. Is Maria Hill actually dead? Is another big question. And they they do go out of their way to make it seem like she really, really is. i was seeing her dead body, her kind of tongue hanging out a little, <laughs> and then we see the coffin, and we have to have that conversation with her mom. So, with all of that, and then with with Rhodes, it feels very Rhodes like it feels very uh, in line with the character that we've known him to be throughout these movies, and because of that, I mean, it kind of falls on one of two sides: either he's been a scroll the whole time that we've mm-hmm. known him, or he's just not a scroll. This is who he is. I kind of lean towards him not being a scroll at this point, yeah um but I also feel like the show needs some big scroll reveals. Yes, not so much needs, but is going to have. Like, I feel like that's the point of Secret Invasion. Is like, oh my god, I can't believe this. I do think, like I was saying earlier, this episode did a great job of giving us the the MCU Disney Plus TV show version of this. Of like the world powers, like mm-hmm. the world is being run by scrolls, right. and, we're, and it has been for at least a couple of years. That's really interesting, and mm-hmm. I feel like that is. That that grounds it in a way of like, oh, this is a good story that they're telling here. It's just not as exciting as like, oh, this is the use of Marvel just introducing a bunch of world powers that we haven't seen before in in any of the movies or shows. And like we've known they're there. But like I do think because of that, there has to be a a pretty cool reveal. And I think that at this point, if it was going to be Rhodes, they would have used Don Cheadle differently in the gracing of the show.
0: Uh, Agreed. Yes. I think for this show to really deliver the secret invasion gut punch, at least one character from phase one, who we've known since phase one has been a scroll. Maria Hill being established as like a, a frequent shapeshifter partner with Soren at the end of Far From Home was one thing. It's the same thing with Nick Fury, but we need like one kind of like scroll that was part of Gravix Network or someone mm-hmm. who's not on our side. So I think that's why I went into this thinking Rhodey would be a good option. But after this episode, like he had this whole story about being part of a, a, for your eyes only, government presentation of, of the Skrull threat back 15 years prior, which would be around 2010, 2011, right around after he got the war machine armor, when he was working for the U.S. government, developing the Iron Patriot role that he had in Iron Man 3. I remember, Rhodey was not in the events of the Avengers. Don Cheadle wasn't really part of that movie, but he was kind of somewhere in the shadows working on government missions. So, uh, you got to imagine if... Brody knew about scrolls, Tony Stark probably also knew about scrolls. I don't know if the government would want him to know that, but I feel like Tony Stark would know. He could control their screens in the Senate testimony. I feel like he could get into their, yeah. their See, archives. Yeah, but what's
1: interesting there, though, is doesn't that start to fall apart where, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, like, they weren't aware of aliens, right? Like, what wasn't, like, Tony, like, during the events of Avengers, like, of meeting Thor and all that stuff, that felt like a reveal to
0: Tony Stark about yes. extraterrestrial life. Yeah, but Tony's always been kind of a mystery box. And like in the events of Iron Man 2, once he starts to get to know S.H.I.E.L.D., I think that's when he's learning, oh, there's he's I'm part of a bigger universe now. Yeah, there's some aliens, but I'm not really going to take it. He probably looked at it like as a Roswell conspiracy theory. Yeah, there probably are aliens on this planet. I hear conspiracy theories that some of them are shape-shifting, posing, walking among us. But he probably didn't take it seriously until like Loki arrives and the Chitauri arrive. Oh, they're actually now declaring war on us. We're in a different game field now, but I think where Rhodey being a scroll falls apart for me is that he got incapacitated in Civil War, and it's just kind of implied oh. if a scroll gets knocked out and goes on a medical table, it's hard for them. It has to be like an active thing that they're consciously doing, and if they get knocked out to where they're unconscious, I don't think they can maintain their scroll. It can be kind of woozy like, a little out of it, but I think if they're knocked out going under surgery, I don't think they can maintain their scroll status. Now, some people say maybe Rhodey got swapped into a scroll sometime after that, but then what you have to start thinking about is an endgame. Don Cheadle was one of the few people they cut to close up when Tony Stark dies in that scene, and to say that that was actually a scroll reacting to him in that moment just takes a lot away yeah. from that, and doesn't ruin it, but just, like, it now forces us to wonder, okay, well then, is... Is a real roadie in a fracking pod somewhere? Is Nick Fury gonna awaken it's him Terrence and say, Howard. "You're it's Terrence Howard"? I mean, look, I just think it like forces them to change too much about what a lot of people view as a sacred moment in MCU mythology, and I don't think I don't think Marvel Studios would let them go back to what they did in Endgame and change too many of the implications about that particular moment. Yeah. So, but I do think someone. Who's been with us since phase one, needs to be established as a scroll. And that's why I think Happy Hogan is our best option. Like John Favreau, some he plays the Edwin Jarvis role in the comics, and Edwin Jarvis in the Secret Invasion comics gets established as a as a scroll, kind of Tony Stark's butler, his driver. Uh, and I think that could be what Happy Hogan does in the show. And I think for a lot of people, like, holy shit, director of Iron Man 1. He's been there since 2008.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, that could make a lot of sense, too. And especially with uh, his connections to Disney Plus and his willingness to to be a part of the shows and, and wanting to be a part of the MCU and, like, the amount of appearances he's had. I mean, he, ha- he hasn't appeared in anything besides Spider-Man, the Iron Man series, and, yeah, the and End Endgame, right? Some
0: cameos in Infinity War and Endgame, yeah. I think. But, yeah, he did get... Um, he did get incapacitated in Iron Man Three and that bombing right. in the Chinese theater. You're right. But he might have just been a little woozy. That's why yeah. I say woozy. I don't think he had surgery. I think he was just kind of knocked out, concussed a little bit, but then he was just like in a hospital bed watching Downton Abbey in that movie. So I Yeah, because
1: we we've seen that uh when when the scrolls get like cut, that's when it's like, oh, they turn back into the right, scroll thing, a, right? Even a, in this a with the finger, set, which yeah. was insane. The amount of violence in this episode <laughs> Ooh, yeah. was insane, man. Yeah. not the finger cut off? But the the one dude <laughs> that started the NATO uh director, when he started talking and the guy chops him in the throat <laughs> yeah. it was like the most violent shit ever and then the, yeah. the final fight scene uh, um, where graphic was just like wrecking fools in the, the butcher shop punching the dude pulling him up and slamming him onto the, the meat hook yeah. it was like yo guys this is wild
0: and that's that's part of the episode where I wasn't really digging it because like the action was just like a little weirdly plotted. Are you trying to make noise graphic or not? Because he shoot, he does the Indiana Jones last crusade thing is he shoots the guy as he's about to chop down to like, try to hide the sound of like, Oh, he just chopped that kebasa really hard. But then the guy flies back into the pots and pans. and makes all this ruckus and there's scroll or there's Russian guards on the other side are like, Oh, he's fine. Like, then Gravit comes in and holds the bell of the door as if he's trying to be, be quiet. quiet. Yeah. But, like, he just made all this noise. So, like, I don't think – I just don't buy that these Russian guards, if they were that effective at their job, would have just stayed in that back room in that moment. So, I I mean, I like any fight that happens in a butcher shop. It reminds me of that Book of Boba Fett episode where Mando's oh, yeah, going yeah, through slicing yeah. people in a butcher shop. It's always great. I love putting people on the meat hooks. A lot of fun. But I just wasn't crazy about Sonia Fallsworth making the Dostoyevsky reference. It's like, who is this show for? I know crime and punishment, but it's like, do you think people watching this show are gonna get and laugh along to very Dostoevsky? Like, yeah,
1: yeah. There's a lot of uh, flowery language bits too, where I'm just like, I am, uh, this is going over my head, and I'm not really getting the, the point of this. But even in the scene, the, the kind of like interrogation scene of her kind of going in, putting the thing on the door, and like having this conversation with this scroll that's revealed from the finger, and he says, I'm gonna bust out of these chains and break every bone in your body. Why doesn't he? Yeah, right?
0: I guess he's tired. I don't know,
1: but I mean, yeah, it's weird I, though because we've seen that scrolls are hella strong. Yeah, so it's like, why didn't he? Especially if he's going to threaten that to somebody that is holding sh- very, 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 very sharp things and is yeah. going to hurt you. Yeah, you know it. It's why would you threaten her that way? Yeah. And then why not bust out if you can? And then did she? What did she inject him with?
0: was it like an extremist thing that's what i was thinking too that it's something derived from the extremists uh but it's rather than something that enables your body to withstand that combustibility just boils your blood um yeah i found that interesting i'm not really sure exactly what that was and i agree with you this is why i think this part of the episode was just a little like underdeveloped for me um because we don't really know what sonya's intentions are i'm having some suspicions that Sonya may be a scroll, but not part of Gravix mm-hmm. network because she knew so much about yeah. what they were doing. So she might just be a really good intel officer, but then why would she allow Fury to spy on her last episode? Like, come on, you know, Nick Fury's in your apartment keep your eye on him constantly so that he doesn't put weird contact lenses on your owl statues. Like, I don't really (laughs) know. Olivia Coleman is one of the best actors we have right now. And she crushed it in this too. And she's good. Every time she's on screen, what does that tell you about me and indoors? Like, she's so incredible. And there's another series streaming right now. If you aren't watching it, but, but she makes a surprise cameo in it. That blew my mind. And she's even better in that. Um, but she, like, I feel like her character, I'm just not really sure what they want her to be, and there's a difference between mystery and confusion in writing, Yes. like there's a such thing as mystery crafting where you, like there it's like a Ryan Johnson mystery show where they want you to doubt someone's intentions, so that a character is deliberately stupid, you know, so that's why they do things, and there's sometimes where it's just oh, we didn't actually lay any breadcrumbs at all, and our viewers are seeing breadcrumbs where there are no breadcrumbs. And that's where you have confusion. And unfortunately, too many Marvel shows have sided more with confusion over mystery. I think Loki and I think WandaVision did a better job than others about mystery crafting, but the Falcon the Winter Soldier, I think Hawkeye, I think Ms. Marvel, I think Moon Knight kind of leaned back on confusion. And didn't really have an exact plan for every little breadcrumb that they gave us.
1: Yeah, and you know, so with that, last year or last week, we were talking about some theories about Fury kind of acting like he's five steps behind the game, but still being five steps ahead of like everyone keeps talking about how old he is. Everyone keeps talking about how broken he is and how he's not the Fury that he used to be. That he ran to space, he was hiding, and all that stuff. And we just don't want to believe it. It's like it's like no man, it's Fury, it's Fury. Seeing this episode, I'm like, especially that that episode of uh, the the moment of him sitting on the bench and kind of like just realizing like, oh man, this is bad. I'm like, is Fury broken? Like is he actually behind at this point point? and is this kind of maybe like the end of Fury as we know him?
0: Uh yeah. I mean, I think that is kind of the central question of the show. Is how old is this man? Yeah. <laughs> and how broken is he? Uh I think he is not as many steps ahead of the game as we think. Um, I think that would be a more satisfying ending if we found out that he was, like, I think it's always more fun to find out that Fury has more tricks up his sleeve than we think. Mm -hmm. That moment where he leans into Rhodey and says, I'm Nick Fury, even when I'm out. I'm in. Like, that's the kind of Nick Fury that we learned to love in, uh, in the first Iron Man, in the Avengers in 2012, in Winter Soldier. But that's the same Fury that says that, puts on this big bravado, and then walks outside and immediately crumbles. And immediate- yeah, but he does that only in private moments. Oh, yeah. Like, I found it interesting that in the scene with Rhodey and the scene with Talos, he switches costumes. Mm-hmm. When he's talking to Maria Hill's mom, he doesn't have the glasses on. He's wearing the hat when he talks to them, he puts on the glasses and we just saw those glasses have infrared ability. You gotta imagine they can measure heart rate, all kinds of stuff. So he's using them to like see like oh my god, is, is Rhodey's heart elevated? Is Talos lying to me? Is he perspiring more? Is his body temperature going up? I think he's using those in that moment, and then so he has to put on this brave face when he's confronting them, but then that requires so much energy, so when he leaves that confrontation, I mean, have you ever done this where you've had like oh, yeah. intense phone calls, or you've had meetings, and then like, or just a long day of a lot of stressful conversations, and then I'll just go to the bathroom and just start crying. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm yeah, like, man. I just can't. It's like, <laughs> I just need a release. <laughs> it's like Holly Hunter and broadcast news where she schedules like a specific time of day where she just sits in her on her bed and just cries for like th- 15 minutes and then she's like okay done back to cool. work now that's, what, get- I that's yeah. what i do that's i do that every day
1: wow that's such a good point you bring up about the hat because yeah the the moment that both Rody's conversation and taylor's conversation go from like we're on the same side to we're not he does put the hat on that's yeah. very interesting
0: yeah i'm 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 surprised that like taylor's allowed him to be uh, to allow him to wear those glasses in the train car, because he's like he has those glasses too. He saw the infrared. Backpacks. Yeah, huh. yeah. But maybe so he's trying to be honest.
1: So to to wrap this episode up here, let's talk about the end of this episode. Him, his wife. She's a scroll. He may or may not know. We think that he does know. Um, but just introducing this this factor, Fury having a wife in general. Mm-hmm. And especially uh, when you connect this into the MCU and comic lore of having, um, God, I always blank on their names, but uh, Ju- Julia, Luis de Yeah, uh, and Val. Val and... Um, Everett the, Ross. And Everett Ross, right? Revealing that they had a past. They were married at some point and all of that. And now in the comics, Nick Fury and Val have had uh, relationships in the past as well. Setting this up that Fury has a wife, that they're still married. Like, wearing the ring... <laughs> Bless you. Uh, like, they are married. What do you think the implications are of this? Like, what, where do you see episode three going, specifically from the point of view of him now being with his scroll wife?
0: I have no idea. That's why I'm so excited at the end of episode two. I really don't know where they're going to go. I feel like Fury's going to talk to Priscilla, get her to talk to her scroll friends in the scroll book club and see if they know anything. <laughs> Um, like what what gossip has she heard about what's going on. I think we're going to see the personal side of Fury. I mean, he did hint at having a wife in Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. where he shows up in uh, Steve Rogers' apartment. He goes, my wife kicked me out. And Rogers like, I don't know you were married. He's like, it's a lie. you don't know about me. We all thought that was a joke at some point. It was never addressed again, but turns out he did have a wife. So he had a wife at least back through 2014, I think maybe the whole time. Um, he doesn't walk around with his wedding ring. You know, most men, if they take off their wedding rings because they want to do bad things, but here it was like his version of a superhero mask he, he does this. He wears this costume, or the lack thereof, to protect those he loves. Mm-hmm. Because if he wears this wedding ring, it's a signal to all of his enemies that there is a wife somewhere out there that they can use against him by hurting her. I mean, and
1: that her. that is totally even backed up with the conversation about the tell me something I don't know, where he was just yeah. like, sometimes not saying something is actually saying even more.
0: So. Right. And I think he said everyone gets two li- or everyone gets one lie. Yeah. This is Nick Fury's one lie, huh. I think. Uh, this is the one secret that he— doesn't tell the world, uh, because if he does, then, again, they can use it against him. Um, but I think where this goes next, I think Talos and Fury have to regroup. I think they now have to uh, try to protect the the leaders. Uh, I, I think right now he might go directly to Gravik, because I know in the trailers he does walk up to that, that new Skrullos camp, so at some point he's going to confront him. But uh, yeah, in order for this to be a good secret invasion storyline the avengers have to get drawn in or one big avenger other than roadie has to get drawn in and i kind of hope it's ruffalo oh that'd be fun yeah that'd be fun all right well let us know in the comments below
1: what your theories are what you thought about episode two eric thank you so much for joining us where can people find you
0: on the New Rockstars Network, we got three channels, New Rockstars, The Break Room, and The Deep Dive. We talked about The Deep Dive, but The Break Room is our new home for our Secret Invasion after shows. So I think that's on the channel right now where I'm uh, talking about episode two with Hector Navarro and Maude Garrett, two of my favorite people. Uh, and that's going to be every Wednesday morning on, on The Break Room channel and lots of other exciting like interview content that's happening over there. And then um, uh, big things coming on the main channel, too, I think. Yeah, subscribe to all three. And to Kind of Funny. Of course, baby. All right. Till next
1: time, love you all.
0: Goodbye.